0: This is Strange Truths and Tall Tales, the product of Newfoundland podcast. It's a place for people who are into Newfoundland stories. Stick with me and we'll explore everything from murderous mummers to tobogganing dictators, with a healthy dose of pop culture, too. It's a crazy mix, I know, but it sort of makes sense to me. I'm Robert. I write at productofnewfoundland.ca. In this episode, I've got Christmas traditions on my mind. Not the ancient ones, really, though there are plenty of those. Today, I'm thinking about a couple of newer holiday customs, Tibbs Eve and Christmas Slush. I'm not doing it alone, though. I've got help from the Duds, who will chat with me about their song, Before the Night, Tibbs Eve, and food blogger Instagrammer Jeremy Way, a.k.a. Stuff That In Your Gob. He helps me wrap my head around the whole Christmas slush tradition. After that, I've got a four-mast-busting segment of Monsters Things, where I'll temporarily set aside my sea monsters in the news plan, and instead talk about scary creatures from Newfoundland lore that were invoked to make kids behave, especially around Christmas time. Let's get to it. You're traveling through the fog, and just ahead is an island. An island of ghosts, murderers, and mummers. Your next stop, Newfoundland, and these are its strange truths and tall tales. In a recent social media exchange, I saw someone, who's a Newfoundlander, question the truth of a bunch of supposed Newfoundland customs. And if I'm honest, there were a lot of items on the list that were new to me, too. i just never heard of them. And that's sort of the thing about Newfoundland culture. There really isn't a singular one. There is no one Newfoundland culture. Your experience of life on this island depends entirely on where you live and where your ancestors came from. One of the customs on the list, though, was something i would lived with my whole life tibbs eve for me tibbs eve is the 23rd of december it is christmas eve eve it's the unofficial start of the christmas season it's the time when families and friends have begun to return to their small coastal communities and the feeling of christmas begins to feel real it's a time to start celebrating for some people tibbs eve means partying and consuming alcohol The connection is so strong that the day is known as Tipsy Eve, or Tipsy Eve. I have a friend that grew up on the island's south coast who always knew the day as Tipsy Eve. It's been suggested that December 23rd is the day people often broke out the home brews and wines they put up for the Christmas season. Their sampling, or maybe their oversampling, led to the name Tipsy Eve. I'm not sure whether Tipsy Eve became Tipsy Eve or vice versa, but one thing is relatively certain. The phrase Tibbs Eve is older, but it didn't necessarily have anything to do with December 23rd or Christmas. There's an old English expression, till Tibbs Eve. It basically means until some day that will never come. Sometimes it's described as a day that is neither before nor after Christmas. In the time and place the phrase evolved, there really was no Tibbs Eve on the calendar. If someone were to say, we'll be shoveling snow from now till Tibbs Eve, they meant they'd be doing it forever they'd be doing it until a day that didn't exist arrived. The origin of this usage of Tib's Eve is perhaps a bit clearer than the December 23rd thing. Tib is thought to refer to a person, a woman of ill repute, someone associated with debauchery. If there was going to be an Eve of Tib, it was likely because she'd been made a saint and had a festival day. Given her reputation, that probably wasn't in the cards. So waiting for Tib's Eve was waiting for something that wasn't going to happen. Despite having created an actual Tibbs Eve here in Newfoundland, the phrase meaning a day that will never come is still in use, at least to some degree. I remember my grandfather saying it. But how did December 23rd become Tibbs Eve? It's not really clear. But whatever the origin, it doesn't seem to have gained a foothold in the culture until the 1900s. Maybe it's an evolution of tipsy. Or maybe it's a reflection of the anticipation of Christmas and how it can feel too far away sometimes. What is clear is that Tibbs Eve has gained plenty of cultural significance. It's largely seen as a day for partying, bar hopping, and socializing with friends. There's a whole commercial application of the day. Bars advertise their Tibbs Eve parties, and local shops sell their Tibbs Eve t-shirts. That isn't the way the day is for everyone. I can't remember a time I didn't know December 23rd was Tibbs Eve. But I was an adult before I knew there was any party atmosphere connected to the day. As a kid, it was sort of the start of Christmas, sort of the last night before the big night, the last sleep before Santa arrived. I was curious about other people's take on the day. I asked Melanie O'Brien and Philip Goodrich of the Duds. They have a song called Before the Night, Tibbs Eve. I asked them about their inspiration behind the song. What inspired you to name a song after Tibbs Eve?
1: Oh, well... I love Tibbs Eve. I always have. Uh, My friends every year get together on Tibbs Eve, the same like kind of small group of us. Um, And when I was younger, like my whole like high school class used to get together on Tibbs Eve like in our early 20s. So it was always like this kind of like party and it was always just fun and something crazy and silly and fun always happened. And and it was always a big deal. Even in my house growing up, it was when we would open presents from our family that lived away. Um, my mother's family from Fogo, we would open the presents. So it was always just this big thing. And it's interesting to me because some people haven't heard of it and some people don't celebrate it. But for, for me, it was always special. And I, I and then I researched a bit the history and I found that so cool that like, it, Tibbs Eve is considered time, time out of time. Or it's like, it, it's related to the saying, a quarter to never, when they're like, oh yeah, they'll get married in Tids Eve. Well, apparently it was a joke, which meant that was never going to happen. It was something that if he said it would happen on Tids Eve, it would never happen because it never really did happen. It's time out of time. So that's where that inspiration for that song came. And it was so, because it was like about these two people who end up together and maybe they get snowed in together for the rest of the season, but at the same time, it never happened. Do you know what I mean? So I had a lot of fun with that. And then Phil, of course, Phil comes in and makes everything so much better than when I started. <laughs>
2: Well, listen, vice versa. We do that for each other, and it's it's really easy to do. Like, when the, when the source material is that good, like, there's so much play that you can have, like, so much you can do. And it was great, too, because when you brought the song, I was like, that's a hit. I know that it's a hit. <laughs> and the version that you sent was just you and guitar. Or was it? No, it was on piano. It was on piano. And with some, with some background vocals. And I was like, I'm not sure what I hear, but I hear some beats. I hear some stuff. And it took us a while to sort of... Uh, with us, there's two things that happen: either it like all flows and funnels together real, real quick, or we take some time and play around with it until we find the right. And b- before the night, tips Eve, uh, and it's not a, not in a bad way at all. That when we were like we were playing with different things until we, fu- we were trying to fine tune it, and I think when we finally found the sound, it was like it was like uh, off the runway. Then it was really, it was really great putting it together. It reminds me, I love to say, it, it reminds me a little bit of like the Boney and Christmas album, that <laughs> song. Right? There's a bit of a vibe of that, like the like sort of poppy, dancey, but still it's a little bit laid back. I really love that song.
0: It's a great song. I, re- I really like it as well. And I love that it references Tibbs Eve. And I love that it references Tibbs Eve in a way that's not about going out and getting drunk. Uh, because that seems to be sort of maybe... <laughs> That's the and thing, is, yeah. the pop cultural dominant discussion of Tibbs Eve these days. And it's not the version of Tibbs Eve that I grew up with particularly either. Uh, no. So, you know, I, I love that you're speaking out for people who have a Tibbs Eve <laughs> that doesn't necessarily involve alcohol. But yeah, I love it
1: because I, being hungover Christmas then if you're out on Tim's Eve being over Christmas Eve really is not fun. Um, but to me, it's just about so much more than that. And that sometimes is part of it. I've had years where I'm just home, you know what I mean? And it's still magical to me. Like I think, and as a kid, you know, it was, it was always just a bit of magic, a magical time where it really does feel time out of time the night before the night before, you know what I mean? Like sometimes the best part is before we get to what we think is the best part. And that's what Tim's Eve means to me.
0: I'd like to thank the Duds for offering their take on Tibbs Eve. Check out the song Before the Night, Tibbs Eve, and a whole collection of original Duds Christmas songs wherever you stream music. There's a link to it in the podcast description. You can also hear a longer conversation with the Duds in episode two of this season of Strange Truths and Tall Tales, titled The Devil and the Duds. They talk about their Halloween music in that one. Sidebar. Phil referenced Boney M., Is the Boney M. Christmas album as culturally relevant outside Newfoundland and Labrador as it seems to be here? I almost can't imagine a Santa Claus parade without it blasting from a loudspeaker. Still, I don't feel like I hear it mentioned much in the mainland media. I don't know. Feel free to enlighten me in the comments. And before we leave music behind completely, if you're into Christmas and holiday music, be sure to check out the blog productofnewfoundland.ca. I'm in the midst of my third annual Newfoundland and Labrador Christmas music advent calendar. I post a different Christmas song by a local artist every day from December 1st to the 24th. There's plenty of great stuff out there. Follow along. Okay. After just making a low-key argument that Tibbs Eve could be about more than just drinking... I'm going to undermine it all by turning my attention to Christmas slush. Back at the start of this episode, I referenced a social media post questioning whether certain things could really be called Christmas traditions. I completely recognized and owned Tibbs Eve. As far as I was concerned, it was definitely one of my traditions. One that was new for me was the idea of Newfoundland Christmas slush. I had no idea Christmas slush was a thing. I know some of you must be wondering what rock I lived under to have missed that one. Well, it was a rock in central Bonavista Bay. That's all I can tell you. The other day, I was scrolling through Instagram and happened across a post from local food blogger, Instagrammer, Jeremy Way, a.k.a. Stuff That In Your Gob. He was making a batch of Christmas slush. I reached out to him to see if he was interested in talking about the tradition with me. Fortunately, he said yes. So, uh... (sighs) I don't know that much about Newfoundland Christmas slush. It's something that uh, I don't think I'd really even heard of more than any more than four or five years ago, and I've been trying to learn a little bit about it. And I saw on Instagram the other day that you were making it, so that's why I reached out to you. What is Christmas slush?
3: Well, it's uh, it's an amazing cocktail that uh, us Newfoundlanders will have. Uh, During the uh, holiday season, you know, normally people will start making it uh, towards the end of November, early December. Uh, It takes a couple days to freeze. I'll give you all my ingredients yet, but basically it's it's citrusy and it's super sweet and you kind of water it down with, um, you know, your favorite, um, say, ginger ale or 7-Up drink. Also, uh, can heavily be watered down with uh, your f- flavored alcohol. <laughs> so a lot of people will use vodka, and some people use amber rum. But uh, the way that I make it, it's uh, it's pretty simple, actually, in design. It's, um, it's one cup of sugar and okay. six cups of water. It's boiled out, so you get it nice and hot, and you throw the sugar in and mix it in. Uh, you're using think it's two tins of frozen OJ, frozen orange juice, two tins of frozen lemonade, can be the pink lemonade, can be just regular old lemonade, but it's like the concentrated stuff. So it's two of each and uh, one large tin of pineapple juice. You mix everything together and then you throw in one flask of your favorite uh, alcohol. So we use vodka. It's not my favorite. I only drink vodka when I eat Newfoundland slush, but um, it's it's it helps it helps everything freeze but it gives it that more slushy type of a freeze effect you don't get that solid chunk of frozen juice and water you're getting that like easy to scrape out of a bucket or a container uh, and then you put some in a, in a glass you, f- you top it up with your ginger ale or seven up and you put in some extra uh, vodka if you want you know but the vodka for me really helps it not freeze. Uh, too hard um and i double my recipe because i love newfoundland slush
0: <laughs> all right so uh, very it does sound very citrusy obviously with the the orange juice and stuff kind of tropical sounding
3: yeah it's 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 the perfect little like pick me up you know you, you're you're sitting around and you offer that glass of christmas slush it goes heavily with you know your party mix it goes heavily with chocolate uh pretty much anything i mean everybody is going to enjoy a glass of slush like it's probably too sweet for a lot of people but everybody will have some
0: um yeah my my experience like i said not knowing what slush was until relatively recently i've only ever had it now oh um, well, a couple of times probably and that was one of my big takeaways is this is a very sweet drink
3: <laughs> yeah 100% yeah very sweet and that's i think that's part of the reason why you would you know, hit it with some alcohol or hit it with some, you know, like a ginger ale. Like for me, ginger ale is not super sweet. It's not like Pepsi or Coke or something like that. Mm. Uh, And it takes like that fizziness of the soda takes away from some of the bitterness and the sharpness of the sugar and the citrus, you know, so it kind of like knocks it back uh, a bit. So it, it packs a punch. It does. It packs a punch. When did you start making slush? Like originally? Originally, uh, okay, so uh, I met my wife in 1996, Been married now a long time with my wife for 27 years. I was 18 at the time, and that was the first time I I heard about slush. And I lived in Newfoundland my whole life, and uh, it wasn't a tradition in my family. My family, and I even talked to my mom about it, and she's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Jennifer's parents, my wife's parents were like, slush is huge. Where, where they were from, slush was a big thing. And it was like, everyone got together over Christmas, like, you know, it came out um, like the first of December, say, and it was like, hand over fist, it was gone. And then you were making another batch because people loved it. So I first heard about it like in 1996, a long time ago, I've been making it now myself for 27 years. And uh, I, I even secretly make it during the summer because it's a great summertime drink when it's super hot outside.
0: I gotta say that is actually one of the, like, when, when I found out about slush, I, I that wasn't one of my, the first things I thought is like, this is not something I would want to drink at Christmas time. This is a patio drink, summertime for me. That, that's where I think I it would be, have its most appeal for me.
3: I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, like you know, for, and 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 you're right, and it does have a lot of appeal on a hot summer's day kind of thing. you're, you know, it's 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 eight o'clock at night. It's still nice outside. It's warm, and you know, you're having a few people over, or whatever. Or you just break out some slush and you know, water it down and enjoy a, a cool, cold. You know, I can't say super refreshing, but it's it's a good cold way to you know to cool down. It's a great drink.
0: Yeah, I, it sounds like it. I mean, I think your uh, citrusy version seems to be a, a very common like that is like classic Newfoundland Christmas slush. Uh, but I do think there are other recipes. Have you ever in over the 27 years have you tried anything different?
3: Yeah, definitely. So um, I've actually tweaked our recipe. Uh, the the one I shared with you is one that was shared with me originally it was from my um, my in-laws, and that was actually given to them from. Their parents, so that's been on the go a long time. Um, what I've learned over the years is I like to mix up my citrus a little bit instead of just going straight orange juice, straight lemonade, and pineapple juice. I'm getting some mango juice in there. I'm getting some other banana flavored uh, juices in there. So I, I uh, tend to go and buy these um, multi flavored type citrus juices that you can purchase in you know, a one liter. Uh, containers and uh, i i add those in so i still have the orange juice i still have the lemonade but instead of using straight pineapple i'm using variations of pineapple and strawberry and kiwi even uh, banana you know raspberry so anything citrusy or fruity flavored is going to change the way that comes out also changes the appearance because traditionally when i grew up you know, we're hanging out with, uh, you know, my wife when I was first dating her and her parents, slush was just orange, always orange. Now, by changing, you know, some of those ingredients, you're you're changing the appearance of it as well. So you're, you can add it uh, to make it more red or to make it, you know, bluish even. You can add whatever you want, really. Slush is just, just that citrusy drink that you make and you freeze and you bang a bit of alcohol in there and you have a good time. And that's exactly what it is. So you know, even uh, earlier I mentioned uh, I use vodka. Uh, People are using amber rum. People use different types of of rums and it gives it different flavors and it also gives it different colors. And really it's what you like. You know, you can tweak it however you like. Some people don't like it as sweet. You can knock the sugar back a bit, you know, like there's tons of stuff you can do. And that's the beauty of living in Newfoundland. Having that Newfoundland recipe passed down, it's Probably already been changed a half a dozen or a dozen times, you know, so you're making it your own because now it's mine. That's my recipe. For some people, the salt beef
0: bucket is very important in the slush making process. Is that something that's important in your slush making
3: process? It's not. It's funny you said that because, you know, I I grew up eating slush at my, my in-laws and having with them enjoy, and that's how they made it. They always had the, the, the chalkers beef bucket. And I was like, wh- why is this? Because that was commonly used. Most people had these buckets because the salt beef is, is what they would have. And they would have these buckets left over. So we reused everything. And that's how it became that way. And it was just, a, it became a tradition throughout the years for people and their families to make it in the, bu- the beef bucket. For me, it's not enough slush. I don't get enough. <laughs> my yield is too small, so I like to double up my recipe. So I've had to compensate by buying a much bigger container to put it in. But uh, it's not important to me. But what's important to me is that people recognize that still. Like it's 2023 now, and that's been something that I would imagine my in laws and their parents, you know, were doing since. I would think like the forties, the thirties, the forties, you know, like and passing it down. Like and, and that was it's a pretty cool tradition. Like it's simple. It's like your slushy you get at the at the quickie mart or the the <laughs> mini mart. It, but it's enhanced the way the Newfoundlanders enhance things and change things, you know. We make it our own and the beef bucket just just makes it more unique to Newfoundland.
0: I, that you mentioned, like back to the forties or whatever, that that's one of the things that uh, in trying to learn a little bit about the, the tradition in the province, it's really hard to pin down where it came from exactly and when it sort of exploded in popularity. Uh, guesses seem to be yeah, seventies, like like eighties, maybe, but I but who know? Like, I mean, probably people were some people were drinking it before then. I don't know; it's a mystery.
3: <laughs> it, yeah, and to me, like I mean, I I, I grew up in small town torbay newfoundland you know where there's a lot of old school traditions back when i was 18 like there were still people going around mummering and and all that stuff and like i was like when i met my wife and she's like do you want to have some christmas slush and i'm like what the heck is that it's like (laughs) i have no idea so i was you know i was oblivious to this at the age of 18 even growing up in a small town a small community and having roots in much smaller bay communities of newfoundland where this was widely done and i still didn't even know about it so uh to, to to know the exact origins of this yeah i don't know um so with with something like christmas slush
0: do you uh i, I mean we, we've already established you drink at summertime sometimes but as christmas approaches is it is it, do, do you wait for the like the official start of the christmas season before you dip into the slush or once it's made it's good to go
3: Oh, no, once it's made, it's good to go. Open game, baby. <laughs> that stuff is like gold. Like, I mean, I can have two pool glasses. Now, I'm a little bit different. I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm not your normal Newfoundlander. I'm not your traditional Newfoundlander. I'm, uh, I, I, I go overboard with everything. Okay. So when I go slush, like some guys are like, they go half a glass of slush, half a glass of ginger ale, and an extra splash of alcohol. I'm like block the glass full of slush. Give me like maybe a couple tablespoons of the ginger ale. There's already enough alcohol in it for me. I like it more crunchy, more cold, more icy. Whereas other people like it super slushy, where they can drink through a straw. I have to eat my slush with a spoon. <laughs> that that sounds good to me. I, I
0: think uh, I think I prefer slush with a spoon rather than the uh, drink it with a straw variety. Um, mentioning. Uh, growing up in Torbay and remembering mummers.
3: Did you ever mummer? Never. No. No, me it's, neither. It's funny because I've I've been at kitchen parties and Christmas parties where there were mummers, but it's something I never, ever done.
0: I've dressed up as a w- mummer one time in my life, and that was f- uh, for my blog. I, uh, I was writing about the mummer murder last year, and I wanted pictures of a murderous mummer. So, I I, uh, volunteered to become that first mummer for uh, the blog. That's the one time in my life that's the closest
3: I've ever gotten to mummering. How about Tibbs Eve? Is that a tradition you grew up with? Not really. I mean, um, it it was just more or less, you you know, like it was never drinking for me. I mean, you know, when when I celebrated this stuff, I was hanging out with my parents and they had some friends over. And yeah, you know, my dad probably gets slashed. And it was normal for that, but you, you know, because it was the one day of the year kind of thing that nobody really cared. Everybody was doing it. Everybody was getting hammered, and it was just a great time uh, had by all. And uh, you know, we I was part of it, but I wasn't like I, n- I never took that to my own family. Like it's not something that myself and my wife do. We might go out and see some friends, but to to really take it as a day to go drinking and a night to go drinking for me now was never really celebrated. I was around it quite a bit.
0: Yeah, I can't say, um, I guess my experience with Tibbs Eve is a little bit different too. Uh, I can't remember a time in my life that I didn't know that December 23rd was quote unquote Tibbs Eve. But the idea that it was a day that you drank was not something I encountered until like much later in my adulthood. So my earliest associations with the day really had nothing to do with alcohol at all. And maybe... You know, maybe that was sort of more unique to my family and, and everybody else in the province saw it as a drinking occasion, but it's certainly not one. That's not what I grew up with. That's not what I grew up understanding Tibbs Eve to be. Um, so, yeah, I think my relationship with this is a little bit weird, a little bit um, maybe not the current understanding of what the day is.
3: Yeah. And you know what? Everything changes to um, Robert, you, you know, traditions are at the root of it are the same. But how we do things uh, are, are different. Like, you know, our brains, my brain works differently than my parents' brains worked. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, the way they celebrated stuff back in the day, you know, there was a lot of more, there was a, there was a much more carefree attitude, um, you know, in the 50s and 60s about having complete strangers in your home. You, you know what I mean? Like people you didn't know and they were dressed up you know, when you were mummering say you didn't know, you had to guess who these people were. And that was part of the fun of mummering. But now it's 2023. If I have somebody in my home dressed as a mummer and I don't know who you are, I don't feel all that comfortable anymore. It's, It's a strange way of thinking about it, but it's a very different concept to me now as, you know, a man in my mid 40s. When I was 18 years old, and I was thinking, oh, it's, you know, all my aunts and my uncles, and and everybody in the community, are getting together, and they're all dressing up like crazy people, you know, and, and wearing the weirdest clothes, and acting so foolish, and you have no idea who people are. That that wasn't a weird, that wasn't a strange concept back then. That was like normal. That was very normal. No, I mean, I think mummering was
0: always uh, scary to a degree, but I think it was like a safe scary. Like you're saying, you, you you didn't know who the mummers were or what they were going to do, but you sort of have confidence that when they were unmasked, they were your friends and family. <laughs> and now you yeah, wouldn't I have no them.
3: Yeah. No, and you're right. I mean, I'm sure. But it's like, it's a, it's a different mentality these days, you know, like the world has changed a lot. But I love that these traditions are still alive. And I love that some of these smaller communities in, in Newfoundland, and they get smaller every year, that they're still banging these things out you know and uh, you know you still hear of families uh and and and, you know relatives still going out doing these things and having a blast you know like it's stuff that we kind of take for granted we don't do it as much anymore and like christmas seems to be uh, very different these days than it used to be you know like i remember growing up as a kid asking for certain things for christmas and you got them and the older you got you know, you were an an adult now. You got what you wanted throughout the year. You you went and bought it yourself. You didn't have to. So like that mentality of Christmas and mummering and slosh and all these traditions, I think are starting to wean. But I love the fact that you know you can still talk to your aunt out around the bay and it's like, oh yeah, big crowd in last night, bunch of mummers here, you know. That's just great. Like to know that they still do that and um it's just it's it's very it's very nice to hear that this still happens uh
0: yeah it is uh i think like wrapping it back to the slush thing again for a minute one of one of the things that i I think appeals to me about the slush tradition is that this is like you make slush in bulk so it's like you're making it with in 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 you make it, you're making it knowing that you're going to have friends and family around you to help you consume it, that this is something like that Christmas is going to be that. And I think that still that sort of speaks to what Christmas is like in Newfoundland still. It is a very social family, friend-oriented event, and people get together, and you're going to have a crowd in your house, and you're going to want to have a lot of like a shared beverage that you can, well, share. <laughs>
3: Exactly. No, and you're not wrong. I mean, you know, we, we don't entertain very often throughout the year, but Christmas is the one thing that I I feel like you just set aside your differences with people, you set aside your beefs, you set aside all the other things going on in your life, you know, and you kick back and you relax, you try to you try to ease into that Christmas break, you try to ease into those holidays, thinking and remembering family. And having a good time. And slush just screams all that because it's something that brings people together. Like if if I had a crowd of people in my house and I didn't have slush throughout the holidays, they would all be like, where is Jeremy's slush? Like what is going on? What is, you know, this is a staple in our home. And it's a staple for anyone who comes into our home and they know us. And they know that I'm passionate. I post about it all the time. Every time I make slush.
0: That, 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 it's cool. I mean, it is, it's a cool tradition. Um, slush aside, are there any other like Newfoundland food, like it, anything else you've got to have uh, at Christmas time?
3: Oh, man. Like, you, you know, if you see me in person other than my face, you could tell I like to eat sweets. <laughs> so for me, uh, you know, anything, anything sweet, but like, you know, hand in hand slush, to me, slush you got to have. You got to have the party mix. You got to have the party mix with the slush. And also, one thing that we love to have with it is the uh, chocolate-covered almonds. Chocolate-covered almonds, I won't eat. Honestly, I will not eat for 11 months out of the year. And I will eat a copious amount of chocolate-covered almonds from December 1 to December 31. And I don't know why, but it's sort of like that's it. That's when I have those chocolate-covered almonds, you know. And there's a cake. I remember my nan, my grandmother, used to make this cake. I don't know what the official name of this cake was. It was just light cake. That's what it was called, light cake. And she also, believe it or not, made a cake that was called dark cake.
0: Oh, I totally believe it. Actually, I have my mother's dark fruitcake recipe on my website, and I get so many hits on that page. Not even my recipe. people. <laughs> I, I'd love it if people were visiting my site for things that I do, but that's not really true. They're visiting it for my mother's Christmas cake recipe.
3: But hey, look, they're there, and right. you're sh- you're sharing the joy of dark fruitcake.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I I always joke there in Newfoundland that there are the fruitcake wars. It's either you're, well, you're either a light fruitcake person or a dark fruitcake person. And, you know, yeah. in, I'll eat either, but I'm definitely team dark fruitcake.
3: <laughs> well, it's funny and because and, I grew up not really liking the fruitcake part of it. I always like the molasses cake part of it, Yeah, you know, so I was like... I'd pick out the scattered piece of fruit or cherry or whatever and just eat the cake. But this light cake that I'm talking about that my grandmother used to make, basically it was just like a a vanilla. It was almost like a vanilla pound cake with raisins. All right. And, but believe it or not, it was actually mixed and put into, um, I believe it was like an old pineapple juice can. Or, like, a ketchup can or something, and it was topped with tinfoil, put in a pot, and you'd put the water around the can in the pot, and it would boil. Okay. In a okay. pot. It wasn't actually baked in an oven. All right. And then she used to make, uh, like, a sugary water sauce or a watery sugar sauce, I guess. <laughs> However you want to say it, probably sounds better watery sugar <laughs> sauce. Uh, That you would heat up and pour over this cake and it would soak in all this, 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 you know, sugary mixture. And it was just, it was a great cake. And I can tell you right now, over Christmas, when I was growing up, we would fight over who got the last piece of that. And I mean fight, like argue, really, really down to it. Not to, not the fisticuffs, not the punching and smacking, but, you know, we would have heated arguments as to who was getting that last little bit of nan's light cake because it was delicious do you have her recipe i have it and i'll admit that i tried it a couple of times i failed miserably and i opted to just put it to bed (laughs) no one's gonna make no one's gonna make it like my nan made it i can't make i have the recipe i follow it to a t it comes out dunch it comes out it comes out like a, a mash of stuff that you wouldn't even want to look at, let alone eat. I tried my mother's
0: steamed pudding one time, and and dunch was a good word for the uh,
3: the result I got out of that
0: too. Right?
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: Um. Okay. Aside from like, uh, uh, um, the things that we make and those kind of traditional foods, any food recommendations for any anybody to check out over the Christmas break? Uh, restaurants they should go to. F-
3: yep. and- yeah, like, you know, Christmas to me is all about family, friends, having a good time, but also being comfortable, you know, having comfort food. Comfort food to me would be that one thing that, you know, just you know melts in your mouth or instantly takes you back or makes you feel like a kid again or just makes you feel all warm and fuzzy inside, You know, you know, however which way you look at that. Comfort food just makes you feel good and, you know... That to me, like that's like, you know, a good homemade turkey soup or say some good homemade pea soup. Baked bread, sweet rolls, you know, buns that were baked with an extra bit of sugar in them, and you'd put hot, you'd put butter on them when they first come out of the oven. You know what I'm talking about? That sort of stuff. You can get that stuff, you know, in very select places, but there's some good restaurants around, you know, St. John's that i would frequent um you know rustler's family restaurant on torbay road has a great menu for that stuff there's a there's a place called uh, i think it's called um the porthouse or something like that on tops road has some great traditional newfoundland food you know um there's so many places and i i'm just at a a loss to think of what places you could go to to get this stuff but almost every little mom and pop takeout or mom and pop you know restaurant shop around the bay or even locally around the city they'll always have pea soup they'll always have turkey soup clubhouse sandwiches you know just your plain old home fries like That stuff is comfort. That's the stuff that I want to have over the holidays. It just makes me feel so good because you're getting the things that you don't normally have every other day. Like I don't eat pea soup every day. I don't eat pea soup every week. But I have pea soup a couple times a year, and over Christmas is one. Mm -hmm. Right. Another big tradition for me would be moose stew. So moose stew is something every year. My father would get a moose. For, for many years he had this license and for many years he would he would have you know smooth steaks moose sausage and all that stuff and bottled moose whatever but christmas eve we would make moose stew and moose stew was like enough to, to feed an army and you you could you could be eating it for days but you'd sit down and eat a bowl and you'd be like oh this 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 moose is so good and the soup is so good the stew is so good uh, you know, big chunks of potato, big chunks of tur- uh, turnip, big chunks of carrot, and just a good heavy gravy sauce in there. And, you know, but moose is so traditional in Newfoundland. So it's just one of those things. And I carry that tradition on. So anytime I get my hands on some moose, it's for Christmas. It's for it's for Christmas Eve moose stew because it's just one of those things that you got to have over Christmas. Like, I don't care for it all year. Got to have it over Christmas it does-
0: it sounds good. It sounds like a, like a, a really good winter meal. You know, the kind of thing that's going to warm you up. And, and it, like you said, something that's like that, you're going to want something like that at Christmas time. That just that comfort food.
3: Hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. And you need it. And, like, it's funny because, like, those traditions, again, in Newfoundland where we would hunt for food, we would hunt that moose. We would, you know, you would have all that in the freezer, and it would be there just like a codfish. You know, you'd have it there for as long as you could keep it, and it was to sustain your family. Now it's different. 2023, you know, not very many people need to hunt for food to survive. You know, in years and years ago, it was a source of providing for your family, you needed it. You needed to get through the winter. You needed food that would last a long time. Now it's just like if the tradition is still there, you have it, but it's for different reasons. You're, you're remembering it for different reasons. You're having it for different reasons. My father passed away in 2019. And one thing that he used to love to do was have uh, salt cod on an open fire. So we'd wrap it up in like you wrap it up in tinfoil and throw some butter in there and throw it in the fire. Let it cook up, pick it out of the fire. You know that hot tin foil, pick it apart, and you eat it with a piece of butter bread, like a piece of butter bread and salt fish with some butter on it, sitting in the woods having a fire. Like so, it's one tradition that I've kept going every year after uh, in, in January the 27th, when my father passed away. I will always go outside and have a fire and cook salt fish and it's just it's not necessarily a christmas thing but it's around christmas because that's when he passed away so for me it's another tradition that i've i've added to my list of things to do around the christmas holidays and the christmas break and it just brings you so much joy yeah i think i think food
0: and food traditions uh, i don't i don't know there's there's nothing maybe that connects you more to your family than than those that history of the of the shared meals and what you used to eat when and and uh, and and doing those things in the future really just just brings you back to the time when you were growing up and you and and you kind of took those things for granted, I think.
3: You're correct, 100%. Because, you, you know, when you're in your mid-40s and you start to think about the people that you've lost and people that you knew and the people that you were around, and you know, you start to think about, you know, what should I be doing or what can I be doing? And these are the types of things that... Once you start doing them, those traditions, it brings you back. You you know, you're still connected to these people in these ways. And, you know, even though they're gone or you don't see them very often, you're still connected. You can pick up the phone anytime and call your aunt out around the bay and be like, hey, can I get that blueberry tart recipe? And she's like, oh, yeah, no sweat. And then four days later, someone's at your door with a blueberry tart from your aunt aunt out in Centerville. (laughs) You're like, holy cow. Like, this is just, like, how did this happen? I only asked you for the recipe, and now I have a full tart that you hand, basically hand-delivered to me. And it's, like, those types of things, that mentality, those traditions, so that that happiness feeling that you get from being so grateful but also being so helpful and friendly, like, that's what Christmas is all about. That's what those traditions are all about. And you're connected in so many ways that you don't even realize it. And when you're in your mid-40s, you start to think back about all those things
0: i i agree i mean i was in my mid 40s really when i started this whole blog thing which is really about looking into um well i guess my culture and my my relationship with my culture and um and um yeah i mean maybe that's what it is maybe i'm at a point in my life where i'm getting a little bit nostalgic about things and i want to understand the past and and how that reaches into the present a little bit yeah Um, for sure so i i I guess on that note um where can where can people find you on social media
3: well that's pretty easy you can you can search for jeremy way but i mean why would you want to do that when you can type in at stuff that in your gob uh i came up with that name with a friend a couple years ago in halifax we were up for um a little visit and it was actually over Halloween so we were there we did a Halloween party and we did some food we ate out a lot and my friend Leanne was like you know you should start this thing you should start this food blog you, you talk about the food you eat the food you make and all that stuff and I post about it on Facebook a lot she's just let's go to Instagram and start this thing up so we came up with a name we started it up a couple years ago and it's all about everything I eat everything I make everything I, I do food wise like it could be you know, good reviews could be not so great reviews. I don't really leave bad reviews, but it's not really that kind of page. It's basically to just tell the people of the world what I eat and what I like to eat.
0: And I will say, as somebody who's been following you for um, most of while you've been on Instagram, I would say uh, it's it's informative and it's entertaining, and the
3: photography's good. So people, well, thank should, you. I mean... People yeah, for them. sure. I mean, th- yeah, and I would appreciate that very much. But it's not about, for me, it's not about gaining followers. It's not about, you know, there's a lot of pages out there. There's a lot of hype out there about, you know, the, I need to have this many followers and I need to be better than this one. And, you know, uh, I take pictures with my cell phone. I don't really care so much about the lighting. If I don't get a real great picture, I don't post it. But if I don't get a real great picture, I don't fuss about it either. I just eat what I'm eating and I just go about my day. Sometimes I won't make a post for a few days, but it's just fun. And I like to put a little bit of my personality into my posts. I'll do funny videos. Well, I think they're funny. And I'll make clips and I'll just make random posts. And sometimes it's my dog and sometimes it's the snow or sometimes it's, Something foolish in the mall parking lot. You know, it can be anything at all, but it's just about, you know, everything I put there is like stuffing it in your face. And that's exactly what it's called. Stuff that in your gob. It's not just food. It's everything. It's my life.
0: And and, and you're doing a great job getting it out there and making it entertaining. So like I said, uh, definitely, if you're on Instagram, go check it out. All that talk of comfort food making me hungry. Jeremy mentioned his father's enjoyment of salt cod. Christmas is basically the only time of year I want to eat salt fish. When I was growing up, my family always had salt fish and sweet raisin bread on Christmas Eve. They still do. As a kid, I complained about eating it. I didn't really like it at all. Truthfully, from a flavor standpoint, I still don't love it now. But, come Christmas Eve, it's all I want. It just wouldn't be Christmas Eve without it. Tradition is weird like that. Check out Jeremy's Instagram at stuff that in your gob. Now it's time for something different, something monstrous. I'm capping off each episode this season with a segment called Monstrous Things, where I recount a tale of a Newfoundland sea monster recorded in the mainstream media. I'm throwing that out the window for this episode though, for the sake of Christmas. Today I'm venturing into the realm of full-on legend with boobaggers boo-darbies, and a strange creature called Rocky Foot. I remember one childhood Christmas Eve when I couldn't get to sleep. Not because I was excited. I was terrified. Of Santa Claus. I mean, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. Forty-some years later, I still sympathize with six-year-old me. Santa had been watching me. No, he'd been judging me for weeks and on that very night, he was going to be in my house. I was certain I'd wake and see his silhouette in my bedroom door as he completed his final tally of my naughty-to-nice ratio. It was a scary thought. I'm fortunate, I guess, that I grew up when I did, really. Before the anxiety-inducing shelf elves, but after the really terrifying Christmas creatures of old faded into the shadows. Because, if Santa Claus scared me, I shuddered to think the breakdown Krampus would have induced... Krampus is a demon-like figure from Central Europe. He's sort of a counterpoint to Saint Nicholas. While Saint Nick rewards the nice, Krampus punishes the naughty. To put it mildly, Krampus is a disturbing figure. He is depicted as a hairy humanoid with cloven hooves. He has the horns of a goat and a long pointed tongue. He carries a branch to swat naughty children and a basket he can use to steal them away. He was a powerful way to get children to behave. I don't know that many early Newfoundlanders had any cultural connections to Krampus, but some of them had ties to other anti-clauses. Much as Krampus was a counterpoint to St. Nick, for some Newfoundlanders, a being named Rockyfoot was an alternative to Santa Claus. Where Santa gave gifts, Rockyfoot filled Christmas stockings with stones. To be honest, that's about all I know about Rockyfoot. I've come across exactly one mention of him in my reading. He was described in John Widdowson's 1977 text, If You Don't Be Good. Widdowson collected a reference to the character in Terrenceville. I have no idea how widely held the belief was. I suspect not very, and Widdowson's informant didn't supply any description of Rocky Foot's appearance. That leaves a lot of scope for imagination. I'd like to think Rockyfoot crawled up the cliffs from the cold, North Atlantic every December 24th looking for naughty children. His skin, mottled and pallid, would be covered in barnacles and seaweed. He might have had long, bony, Tuckamore-twisted fingers in which he'd clutch a handful of pebbles, perhaps bits of ballast from sunken ships. He'd slip the stones to naughty children, and maybe, if the child collected enough, the weight of gifted stones would pull them to a watery grave. I don't know. I'm new at writing cautionary horror. Anyway, whatever he was, he was hardly alone in terms of supernatural beings keeping naughty children in line. Rockyfoot may have delivered a disappointing stocking filler on Christmas morning, but a contingent of boo creatures, boo darbies, boo beggars, and boo men, lurked in the shadows of Newfoundland, threatening something darker than rocks and socks. These figures were sinister beings. They were believed to be interested in abducting children. They are similar, I suppose, to the more widely recognized Boogeyman. Often these Boo folks were said to be active at night or lurking in dangerous places. They were used as threats to keep children safe. Kids were told things like, If you're not home by dark, the Boo man will take you. Or stay away from the cliffs, the Boo Darby lives there. Unlike Rockyfoot, whose danger was most acutely felt in the lead-up to Christmas, These boo folk were dangerous all year round. The boo derby might have seemed especially scary in December, though. While it's not exactly clear what a boo derby is, though they're sometimes described as horned creatures, I think it's interesting to consider that on some parts of the island, derby means mummer. Newfoundland Christmas mummers, despite the sort of benign tea-towel depictions we see these days, could be pretty scary. They were mysterious strangers who spoke in strange voices and created mischief. It wasn't all wearing mother's big 42 bra, either. Mummer costumes often involved animal skins and horns, and in some cases were designed to deliberately frighten. Parents sometimes used the threat of mummers to get children to behave. I can't draw a direct line between mummers and boo Darbys, That is, I can't say one was the inspiration for the other. But together, sightings and warnings of Boo Darbies must have combined to make each experience much scarier than it would have been on its own. In that, the Boo Darby is a bit unique from the other Boo characters. They really could sort of tie it down to an actual physical mummer-type being that they'd seen. Krampus and Rockyfoot were supernatural creatures most children would only know through stories. Mummers and derbies were verifiable flesh and bone beings that descended on the community every Christmas. Their physical presence must have made the danger seem entirely too... real, and therefore a pretty effective deterrent. It's all a bit weird to me, but it's like they say, I guess. You get more flies with honey, but when it comes to raising kids, the threat of an omnipresent Rocky Boo beastly mummer thing really makes them toe the line. And that's it for this Christmasy episode. If you've got stories about or different perspectives on Tibbs Eve, Newfoundland Christmas Slush, or Boo Darby's, I'd love to hear about it. The comments are always open. Thanks again to the Duds. Check out Before the Night, Tibbs Eve, it's available right now. And to Jeremy Way. You can find him on Instagram at Stuff That In Your Gob. There are links on the episode page. Stay tuned for more Newfoundland Christmassy stuff from productofnewfoundland.ca and right here on Strange Truths and Tall Tales. Till next time, mind the boo darbies, Or maybe, if Rocky Foot comes calling, offer him a glass of slush. Couldn't hurt.